Well, today is a special day in that tomorrow I turn 40 years old in Jesus. So I want to reflect on some things. Amen. And I want to reflect on uh, 40 years later and the things I learn and the things I'm learning because I'm not done learning and growing yet. Uh, our text this morning is from the 77th Psalm, verses 11 and 12. Psalm 77, 11 and 12, where the psalmist writes these words, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also on all thy work and talk of all thy doings. The message paraphrase says, Once again I'll go over what God has done. And then verse 12, And I'll ponder all the things you've accomplished and give a long, loving look at your acts. So, just a little bit of history here. Tomorrow on February 20, 1983, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And so with that, happy birthday to me. Amen. All right. How many of you have been saved for 40 years or longer? Please stand up. If you've been serving God, saved for 40 years or longer, God bless you. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I join your ranks tomorrow. All right. God bless you. Give yourself a round of applause. Amen. About half of you or more. Uh, I remember the works of the Lord. Once again, I'll go over what God has done. So for those that don't know me or my testimony, there's a few newer faces today. I was brought up in the church as an as a, uh, elementary age uh, child. I went to the Bethel Reformed Church in Sheldon, Iowa. My mom is here today. She can testify to all this. And, and then my teenage years, I went to the Presbyterian Church in Hospers, Iowa. My cousins who are here, you've been attending how many years, Jane? All your life. Like, I didn't want to give your age away, but okay. All right. She's been going to that church for 70 years. And uh, I went to that church in my teenage years. And I will say this, mom always made sure that we were in church basically when the doors were open. I didn't have a choice. I didn't, you know, I didn't have to go to church. I got to go to church. I went to church. Uh, but I never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I like to say it this way. I was brought up in church, but I was going to hell going to church. Do you hear what I said? I was going to hell going to church. Anyway, once I got on my own, I started, went to college and went to the University of Northern Iowa, UNI in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And I started partying, started hanging out with the wrong crowd. Uh, bad company does corrupt good character. And many times I would get home from the bars at night and turn on the TV. And there was Pat Robinson. And I would say, I don't know how many times I said the sinner's prayer with him in a drunken state. Uh, it was to help me get through the night. But I'd wake up in the morning somewhat hungover. And I wasn't serious yet about surrendering my life to Christ and I would wake up the next day and I would go about doing my own thing, going back to my old ways. And, and understand I still went to church all this time because it was easier going to church, thus easing my conscience, than to hear mom ask me where I was and she missed me and all that. Which also tells me parents, grandparents, never ever give up on your kids. Never give up on your family. Uh, but one Sunday night, I went to church 40 years ago tomorrow. And I went to church, and honestly, I cannot tell you what was preached that night. Uh, but I do remember, and I went to this Assembly of God church for about a year before I got saved. 
And there was a message in tongues. And I know some of you aren't of the Pentecostal persuasion. Even though I wasn't, I went to that church. I believed in the gifts of the Spirit. And, and that's another sermon for another time. But there was a message in tongues. And the interpretation was basically this. And I never forgot this. I am not ashamed of you. Why are you ashamed of me? And when that, when that interpretation was given... I started, I was sitting in Glad Tidings Assembly, and I know, Linda, you know the church back then, but I was sitting over there, kind of where Rick is at, and, and uh, I started weeping. It was like when that message was given, it was like a knife, a sharp knife that just pierced my heart. And I began to weep and weep and weep, and I knew inside that I needed to surrender my life to Christ. And, and yet I was afraid of losing my friends. I didn't know what to do next. The devil's a liar, by the way, as Pastor Jim was saying. And then mom came over, and she asked if she could pray over me, and she did. She began to rebuke the devil, and then asked if I wanted to go forward for salvation, and I did. And I was the only one that went forward that night, 40 years ago tomorrow, and it was the best decision I've ever made. Um, amen. That night changed my life. And here we are 40 years later, and I've learned a few things along the way. How many know that life is about learning? Amen. Someone wrote this. It took, it took over 50 years to learn the following. Number one, never under any circumstances take a sleeping pill and a laxative at the same time. All right. <laughs> they also wrote, number two, there is a very fine line between hobby and mental illness. True. I could get into some of these, and I won't. These are not mine. Uh, another, another one, you should not confuse your career with your life. True. Nobody cares if you can't dance well. Just get up and dance. Amen. Never lick a steak knife. All right. <laughs> the most destructive force in the universe is gossip. Number seven, you will never find anybody who can give you a clear and compelling reason why we observe daylight savings time. That is so true. I'm glad we're in Arizona, and that is changing as a nation. Now, number eight, you should never say anything to a woman that even remotely suggests that you, can, that you think she's pregnant unless you can see an actual baby emerging from her at that moment. <laughs> That's true. I won't go into last week's halftime show. Um, number nine, the one thing that unites all human beings, regardless of age, gender, religion, and economic status or ethnic background, is that, all, that we all, deep down inside, believe that we are above average drivers. <laughs> Living in Arizona for 20, 22 and a half years now, I can tell you that not everyone is an average driver. All right, Jill and I have this joke going on, ongoing joke going on. I have Brian's school of driving, and most people actually fail that school as I'm out driving and watching people. And I've even failed it a few times, all right? And then number 10, a person who is nice to you but rude to the waiter is not a nice person. This is very important. Pay attention. It never fails, all right? Things you learn. Well, life is about learning, and it's good to remember the works of the Lord. As I said, uh, to begin with, I have a, I'm, I'm, I'm officiating a wedding this afternoon. That's why the suit's on the guest preacher today. Uh, for those of you that were shocked when you walked in, this is not my regular attire. It's my uh, funeral and wedding outfit, I say. 
it's for marrying and burying, it's for Christmas and Easter, and that's about it. But anyway, I'm a jeans and a shirt kind of guy, untucked shirt kind of guy. That's just who I am. And I did not ride the Harley today, all right? But uh, life is about learning. It's good to remember what God has done. The problem is sometimes we forget. Memory fails us. How many have had that happen? The older you get, the more it fails you. Maybe you heard about the guy named John who really had a horrible memory. Well, one day John ran into a friend whom he had not seen in a long time, and he greeted him and said, Hey, hey, Bill, do you remember what a bad memory I had? And Bill says, Well, John, yeah, I certainly do. Well, it's not bad anymore. I went to a seminar that taught us how to remember things. It was a great seminar, and now I have a wonderful memory. Well, Bill says, that's great, John, but what was the name of that seminar? Well, uh, well he said, John said, wait a minute, and, I, and he says, my wife went with me. I'll turn to her, and, and he, I'll ask her, and he, he turned, and he saw his wife nearby. And then he turned back to Bill and said, what's the name of that flower with a long stem and thorns and a red bloom? And Bill says, do you mean a rose? Yes, yeah, said John, that's, that's it. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that seminar we attended? And we have a rose with us today. All right. And so back to our text, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Memory defined is to recall to one's mind, to recollect, to rehearse in one's mind, to be mindful of something. See, I believe it's important that we, from time to time, reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness and the provision of God. You'll think back when Israel crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, God gave Joshua the following instructions in Joshua 4, 2 and 3. Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. In other words, the stones were to serve as a sign to the Israelites. Then Joshua explained in chapter 4, 6 and 7, In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters for the Jordan were cut off. These stones, he said, are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. In other words, the stones were to be a reminder of the mighty acts of God in behalf of his people. And so really the lessons they learned were to be shared to future generations. Now, on many other occasions, men built altars. They set up stones as reminders of, of significant encounters with God from Noah to Abraham to Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, and Samuel. I mean, first Samuel seven twelve. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. Now, these altars and stones became physical markers of great spiritual encounters with God. They provided really an opportunity for people to teach their kids about the activity of God in behalf of his people. If you've ever taken the class called Experiencing God from uh, Henry Blackaby and Claude King, they, they call them spiritual markers. 
And so I want to share with you some spiritual markers today. Uh, from my vantage point, uh, most will be as a Christian, not as a pastor, uh, but, but I've learned some things over the years, and each one has been or could be a sermon in and of itself. And so hang on, I have 40 points today. I'm just going to breeze through some of them real fast because 40 years, okay? And some will take a little bit longer, so hang on. We're going to get through this because I do have to go to Tucson to officiate a wedding this afternoon at 3.30. All right, so number one, I've learned the importance of being faithful, of faithfulness. We have to be faithful unto God. God's been faithful to us, amen? And, 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 and Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in very little is, is also faithful in much. And Jesus says, If you have not been faithful or trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, unrighteous mammon, who will trust you with true riches? See, God's not going to give us greater things until we are faithful in the small things. All right, Our lives will be evaluated by our faithfulness or lack thereof. And every one of us here today, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, now some, someone said this, we can't all be brilliant, but we all can be faithful. And I say amen to that. And so number one, faithfulness. Number two, I've learned that people are not your enemy. I learned this from Dr. Ed Silvoso, part of the Argentine Revival. I read a book years ago by him, and he said this, as long as a person has a social security number, they're not your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in, in the heavenly realms. And friends, I remind us today that we have one enemy. Men, your wife is not your enemy. Women, your husband is not your enemy. Get that straight, all right? But we have one enemy, and that is the devil. I've also learned that with that one, people are not against you. They are simply for themselves. Number three, I've learned not to harbor hurts. See, when you harbor bitterness, happiness will dock elsewhere. The one that can hurt you the deepest is the closest to you. You don't expect that from him. David uh, recalled that in Psalm 55. But guess what? Offenses are going to come. Jesus said offenses will come. One of the verses I learned early on is Psalm 119, 165. that says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Learn to live an offense-proof life. Be unoffendable. All right. I know that, that people will misunderstand you. You're going to say things that will be misunderstood. Or as a friend of mine told me years ago, when you receive the Judas kiss, you are becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, we don't want that, but, but things happen. You let them go, you, you, get, you move beyond that, and you grow from it. Uh, ultimately, the only person that can hurt you is you. Don't live with offenses. Number four, I've learned that the only thing that really matters is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I reflect on this quite often when I'm preaching, but we are told, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The only thing that really counts, as I said, is your personal love relationship with Jesus, and when that's intact, guess what? Everything else is going to work out one way or the other. I like to say it this way, and I've learned this years ago, and I don't know if it was Ron Alk in Bible college or what, but uh, Jesus doesn't want to be number one on your list. He wants to be your list. I think it was Ron Alk who said that. Number five, 
Never say no to God or argue with God. These are not in any specific order, but I've learned that from personal experience. Years ago when I was on staff as a children's pastor in Bettendorf, Iowa, I, I remember I received a call from our uh, district superintendent and asked me if I would consider being the pastor in Owain, Iowa. I didn't want to go to Owain, Iowa. I had the board call me up. Would you come and be our pastor? And I've already talked to our senior pastor saying, I, I think that God's moving me on and, and, and moving from a children's pastor to a lead pastor. And, and I said, no, no, no. And then a missionary came to our church. I think it was Doug Corbett that you know. And uh, he, missionaries always mess me up. I love missionaries. But I remember him preaching, and I don't know what he preached on, but I remember going to the altar and saying, God, forgive me. My life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. And God, you can do whatever you want to do. And shortly thereafter, we moved from Bettendorf, Iowa, to Owain, where God wanted me. I didn't want to go at first. But I've learned that uh, when you argue with God, when you say no to God, you will lose the argument. And it's good to lose the argument. All right? Never say no to God. Uh, number six, even when God seems far away, he is near. He is near. Second uh, Chronicles 32, 31. God left him, Hezekiah, to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. The Lord left him alone to see what was in his heart. Friends, don't base your relationship with Jesus Christ on feelings. Your feelings will deceive you. There are some days when I don't feel saved. But I know I am because of what the word says. Because of what I've done. I, I know that his word says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And I know that we all want to live on the mountaintop experiences, but most of our growth comes in the valleys as we're climbing. Number seven, everything does work together for the good. Now, I'll use this as an example. Both Jill and I came from divorced homes. Our parents are here today. Uh, our, folks, our folks were divorced, but, and I know that God hates divorce, but God loves divorced people. God himself was divorced from Israel, but he loves people. And God can turn tragedy into triumph. I don't understand all the whys and wherefores, but if our mom, if my mom wouldn't, this is going to be a big one for some of you, if my mom wouldn't have married Jill's dad, so we are stepbrother, stepsister, we would have never met. All right? And so God does work things together for the good who love him. Uh, don't let your past determine your present or your future. Thank God he gives second chances. Amen? Number eight, refuse to live with what ifs. See, Christianity ought to be an adventure. Step out in faith once in a while. You, you don't have to know all the details in advance. I like to know them all, and so do you, but we don't. Take some risk. In other words, if you're going to walk on water, you're going to have to get out of the boat. Amen? Amen? And so I remember the call to Arizona. Again, uh, uh, Jimmy Christensen called me on a Sunday afternoon, August of 2000, and said, our pastor just resigned. Would you consider coming to Arizona? And I was like, well, I kind of like it where I'm at. I had plans. The senior pastor had plans for me as well. I'm good where I'm at. I wasn't looking to move. And uh, I remember picking up, uh, or taking actually, Teresa Greenhow, a missionary that we support from India, I remember picking her up, and, and she was in Bettendorf, Iowa, and we drove her to Rhinebeck, where the folks were going to church, to Rhinebeck, Iowa, and I took my time because I wanted to pick her brain. It's like, what do you think, and this and that, 
And I determined from that, from her as well, but, but I don't want to live with what ifs. What if I wouldn't have come? Because I could have been happy there. Uh, uh, and, and anyway, so the rest is history. But refuse to live with what if. Step out in faith. Number nine. Number nine. Christianity is a lifelong process. And if you think, if you think you've arrived, you have nowhere to go. You will never, ever have it all figured out. One of the things that it helped me on early on in my Christian walk, reading the book of Job, toward the end of Job, he's, I'm paraphrasing, but he's saying, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Bottom line is, God is God, you're not, I'm not, I'm okay with that, I gotta trust God, but guess what, we're growing, we're maturing, it's a process, uh, God is most comfortable when I'm uncomfortable, amen, and so never grow tired of God stretching you, of God changing you. Number 10, I've learned that God hates divisiveness, gossip, division, pride, and arrogance. There are six things the Lord hates. Proverbs 6, 19, uh, 16 and 19, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. This is why I have come so strongly against that in a church. I've seen it destroy churches. It destroys people. Don't let its ugly hook snag you. Matter of fact, Ephesians 4.29, memorize this verse. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Not tearing them down, for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Number 11, don't try to be someone else. And don't let others manipulate you into being what they want you to become. Guess what? God made only one of you be yourself. Now, when I first got saved, I thought, and called the ministry, I thought, man, if I could preach like Jimmy Swagger, if I could preach like Benny Hinn or Billy Graham. But God hasn't called me to be Jimmy Swagger or Benny Hinn or Billy Graham. God has called me to be Brian Hartman, and I am comfortable in my own skin. See, God has uniquely made you to be yourself. Teenagers, don't let social media define who you're supposed to be. Let God define who you're supposed to be. All right? And so don't try to be somebody else. Twelfth, uh, number 11. Number 12, <laughs> people are not as spiritual as they say or think they are. All right? With that one, I know that people like to appear to be more spiritual than what they are. And honestly, deep down inside, there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us, all right? And you say, no, there's not. Yes, there is, and there's some of me too, all right? I, I personally don't like religion. The world is full of religious people. As I like to say, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to college makes you smart, going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, or going to an a automobile you know, garage makes you a car. Uh, Steve Hill quote, Christianity is not hanging around the cross, it's getting on the cross. It's dying to yourself, dying to your agenda and your will. You see, people can go to hell while going to church. I was. I was. And so stop trying to impress people with your spirituality. Number 13. 
Love people where they are by remembering where God has brought you from. I never want to forget. I mean, it's 40 years ago tomorrow, and it's like yesterday. I, I will never forget what God has brought me from. I never, I never want to forget what it was like to be lost and what it's like to be found. Amen. And, and I think one of the good things about remembering the, the works, the deeds of God, is that we remember what life was like before we committed our lives to Christ. You see, uh, the problem is that the longer we are saved, the, the more we tend to forget who we were, and then we become hard on, on, on people that aren't Christians yet, and we have to reach out to them and love them where they're at. Uh, church, continue, continue to let God's grace amaze you. I, I've never gotten over His grace. I, 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 that God would save a sinner such as me, you know. Uh, never forget what it was like to be lost, number 13. Number 14, I must have the presence of God. In Exodus 33, God basically tells Moses that he's not going with him into the promised land because they were a stiff-necked people. And if he did go with them, he would probably destroy them on the way. Twice he says that. And then Exodus 33:15, then Moses says to him, to God, God, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. And then he goes on, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And then he says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Friends, I have to ad admit this morning that I have an addiction problem. I am addicted to the presence of God. We must have the presence of God. I've been reading the testimonies from Asbury University and just people going in and not wanting to leave, people repenting, saying the presence of God is here. That tells me right now there is hunger in this nation. There is thirst in this nation throughout this world for the presence of God. May the presence of God be like a fire blazing across this nation throughout this world. May His presence be so real that it's going to draw people to himself. Number 14, we must be people of his presence. Number 15, learn to laugh even at yourself. You would think that some Christians ate a lemon on the way to church. They are sour about everything. Always frowning, always down the mouth. And you don't, air, you don't dare ask them how they're doing because you know you're just going to get whoa. You know, and it's like, learn to laugh, learn to enjoy life. I mean, he has given us life and life more abundantly. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. In his presence is fullness of joy. The kingdom of God is not about food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Learn to laugh at yourself. Laughter is good medicine, the Bible says. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Even the Lord laughs at the wicked. Number 16. Thank God daily for saving you. Hardly a day goes by when I don't say something to the effect, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, and thank you, Jesus, for keeping me. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You see, Jesus saved Brian 40 years ago when Brian was a hellion, all right? When Brian was so far away from God. Uh, live a life of thanksgiving. Put on the helmet of salvation and thank God if you're saved. Thank God for saving you. Number 17, I've learned the importance of tithing. God's word is true 
if we put him first, if we obey him, his blessing will rest on us. I know people who have been saved longer than me who still don't trust God with their finances. You see, uh, trust is, is the heart of your relationship with God. It's interesting to me how people say, well, I, I trust God with my eternal soul, and yet they don't put God first with their finances. Put God first in your finances. Tithe. Jesus commended tithing in the New Testament, all right? I've preached series on this before, won't go there, but I do remember one thing. The night that I got saved, Mom came up to me in the foyer of Glad Tidings Assembly of God, and Mom told me, Brian, start paying God his tithe. And it wasn't much back then, it's much more now, but I've never missed. Even when I was dirt poor in Bible college, we made faith promises for missionaries. I remember God speaking to me in a chapel service one time, because back then I think cable TV was like eight, ten dollars, something like that. And they like, if you can have that, you can pay, you can you can support missionaries. You know what I'm saying? And so it's it's a priority thing. And in, in three weeks we have our missions convention. But tithing, giving to God, uh, trusting God with your finances. Number eighteen. It's important. I learned to practice what you preach because if you don't have character integrity, you have nothing. All right. Uh, to me, character is more important than charisma. That's why right in the middle of the spiritual gifts chapters of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. In other words, right in the middle of charisma, gifts, the charismata of the Holy Spirit, is the character of Christ, which is love. Galatians tells us in the fruit of the Spirit, love is. You know, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, and love is this, and it defines who Christ is. And so, uh, by the way, the character and the integrity is not just for pastors, it's for followers of Jesus Christ. It's for all of us. Number 19, spiritual authority. In order to have, have authority, I must be under authority. I've had people tell me over the years, well, if, if I join the church there, do I have to submit to your authority? Yeah. You know, well, I've had others tell me, well, I don't submit to your authority, I just submit to God's authority. If you're going to submit to God's authority, you'll, you'll submit to God's delegated authority. And so with that, I don't lord it over people, but I've learned never to attack or rebuke those in authority, be it your pastor, your boss, your teacher, your parents, etc. You don't rebuke them, you, you talk to them respectfully, all right? And, and also, with this also, if God has shown me something's not right with someone, it's not necessarily my job to point that out. Maybe God is showing me so I can pray for them, all right? Number 20. I've learned this, and I've, again, I've preached on all these things. Being devoted is more important than having devotions. Years ago, I was like checking the box, read my Bible, I prayed, and I felt God really speaking to me about this very thing. You can, be, you can have devotions, but not be devoted. See, God's after a devoted heart, a heart that's sold out to him, and not just someone who checks the box and says, well, I read the word today, I prayed today, boom, boom. And, and, and now, the Word of God is not meant to merely inform me. God's Word is meant to transform me and you as far as that goes. In other words, I want to draw closer to Him. Number 21, with that, being transformed to His image is more important than just going to heaven. Now, we all want to go to heaven. I, I got saved 40 years ago because I didn't want to go to hell. Uh, uh, I knew I was going to hell and didn't want to go there. I remember very distinctly, I remember if I got in my car and got in an accident, and, and was killed, I don't know how I knew this, but I knew I was going to hell. And I didn't want to go to hell. But the longer I've been saved, 40 years tomorrow, 
I'm growing in my love for him. And the more I realize I need to be conformed to his image, that's his goal for me, Romans 8, 29. Uh, yes, there is a hell to shun, and yes, there is a heaven to gain, but my focus is simply on Jesus Christ and being conformed to his image. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, what I preached back in January, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, but also I want to know him in, in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so dying to self. Bottom line, Jesus Christ must have preeminence. Number 22, over halfway there. Jesus loves me, this I know. See, God loves me as much on my best day as on my worst day. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. You see, I am secure in the love of the Father. I preached on God loves you last Sunday morning, you know, and basically just knowing that God has loved us, God has freed us from our sins because of the blood of Christ. Number 23. All right, I'm going to step on some toes here. Mind my own business. I don't have to have an opinion about something I don't need to have an opinion about. And that goes for social media too. Never form an opinion without, with only part of the facts. Now some of us, I think, would have a lot more friends and be a lot happier if we would quit trying to run everybody else's life around us or always wanting to be in the know of everybody else's life. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you. My translation, quit butting into other people's business and don't go around as a know-it-all trying to solve everyone's problems because some people simply don't want your help. In other words, stop getting caught up in everybody else's affairs. Stop being nosy. For some of you, your tongue is so long, you could sit in the living room and lick a spoon in the kitchen. <laughs> Mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, but, but it's, there's truth to that. And, and just learn to mind your own business, all right? You'll get much further along in life that way. Number 24, I've learned a good wife is a gift from God. God has blessed me with a beautiful wife, and she is an awesome helpmate. And honestly, I don't think I could do what God's called me to do without Pastor Jill. Amen. In a few months, we celebrate 39 years of marriage together. Marriage together. As the Beach Boys sang, the Midwest farmer's daughters really make you feel all right. I, for one, don't wish they could all be California girls. All right. And I thank mom and dad for raising her upright. All right. Number 25. Time as we know it is short compared to eternity. One of the things I preach on a lot as well. I have a sign in my office that dad made for me on a CNC machine. And it's one, one word sign, and it says eternity. See, our life is like a vapor. We might get 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 plus years. We don't know that. But when it comes down to it, am I living in light of eternity? That which really matters. Is my focus on eternity? Number 25. Number 26, worrying is futile. It, it, it never changes the outcome anyway, and most of the things we worry about actually never end up happening. So don't worry, be happy. All right, 27. 
<laughs> kind of a fun one. If I want to sing in the car, I'm going to sing in the car. All right? And I don't care. I might even move a little bit. And I don't care who's looking at me. I try not to make eye contact with a person at a stoplight that's on either side of me. When they see me singing, they're strangers after all. And they're allowed to think what they want to think. And by the way, in the car by myself, my knee steering the wheel, I can be an awesome drummer to the beat. All right. All right. <laughs> Number 28. Life is not about me. And I'm definitely not the center of the universe. Now, I might have been at one time many years ago, but that was probably not accurate thinking. Life's not about me, it's about God. Number 29, I might look old to a 20-something, but I'm not planning to act that way to satisfy their notions. One of the things that Pastor Nancy would say oftentimes, if you didn't know how old you actually were or what the birth date was on your driver's license, how old do you think you'd be? Now, me, I'm still a teenager at heart. I'm still a kid. My body tells me differently as I get older. Amen? I mean, I can, I can go out and work landscaping stuff for two, three hours, and I'll pay for it for two or three days. You know, it's like, okay, I can't do that. Years ago, when I was like 40, 38, 40 years old, uh, one day I moved, uh, actually moved by myself, wheelbarrow, scooping it, unload, loading it, unloading it, 10 ton of rock myself. I hired one of the teenagers at church to help me. When he got out of school, we had five, we had 15 ton dropped off. We had five ton to go. After 15 minutes, he's complaining. I'm going, buddy, I am paying you for this, and we're going to get the five ton done. I got 10, 10 ton done by myself. We're going to do all this, you know. But I'm not going to try to, uh, just because people might see me as being old, I'm not going to act old, hopefully, all right? Number 30. You're never too old to learn. It's when you stop learning that you stop growing and getting old. Keep on learning. Keep on having this desire to know more, to, to grow in knowledge and as well as grace. All right? You're never too old to learn. 31, I desperately miss, this is so true, all the people who meant something to me in my life, including those who died way too young, in my opinion. I've learned that God's ways through it all, though, are, are truly not my ways. Bill, I miss Marcia. I know you do, too. I miss Pastor Nancy, Pastor Middleton. I mean, I look across the audience. I could give all kinds of names, the funerals I've had over the years. I miss people that have spoken my life, and I thank God for them. Uh, but I've also learned with that point, when God doesn't make sense to me, I more than likely don't know what he knows, and I realize that his ways are higher than mine. Even a few weeks ago when our friend Brianna Lance went, went to be with Jesus. I don't, I don't get that. 52 years old, that's too young in my book. 70 years old is too young in my book. All right, uh, But God's ways versus my ways. 32, even though I might think I'm right, it doesn't mean I always am. <laughs> I can disagree with someone and still love them. I don't have to be on the same page with someone 100% of the time in order to love them. There are people I hang out with, people I go UTV writing with and such, and, and, and we differ a lot, all right? And I have to sometimes, you know, close my ears, whatever, but uh, uh, with, with some of the language and whatnot, but, but hey, you know something? I'm, I'm going to love them where they're at, and I want, I want my light for Jesus to shine as well. Uh, 33. There are a lot of right ways to do things. That's a Pastor Nancy quote. 
All right. And, and with that, I've, I've, I've taken as my own because there are. My way, as these all kind of tie in, my way is not the only way. There are a lot of different ways to do things right. All right. Number 34, saying no or sorry I'm too busy is okay. I've, I've learned that you don't, you don't have to do everything. And just because somebody asks you to do something doesn't mean you have to do that, all right? And so it's okay from time to time to say no or, hey, you know something? I'm, I'm too busy. I'm sorry. It's okay. Number 35, it's okay to eat dessert first and only dessert if you want. <laughs> Amen. Come on now. Stressed is, is desserts backward. Keep that in mind. Stressed is desserts backward. So if you want to change that stress around to desserts, I give you give my approval. And we don't know how long we have, so eat dessert first just in case the rapture happens. Amen. 36, don't let complexity overwhelm you. The older I get, the more I want things simple. And the older I get, the more complex people make things, all right? <laughs> when I say that, we, we built a cabin three years ago up north and. And I wanted simplicity. I don't want steps because I'm going to get older and I don't want steps. I had both my knees replaced in the last seven, eight months. I don't want steps. And then we just made the cabin as simple as we could. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want a lot of maintenance. We have a steel roof. We have siding that's still supposed to last like 25 years without any maintenance on it. We have the decking, the same thing with a composite decking. I want simple. I want simple. And I like simple. Let's not, and Paul addresses to the Corinthians about the simplicity that is in Christ. In other words, don't make your relationship with God complex as well. All right, keep things simple. Number 37, it's okay to say, I was wrong. Now, when you do that, you're going to shock some people. Maybe you tell your kids as parents, you know, kids, I was wrong, or as a grandparent, I was wrong. Uh, humble yourself and say it once in a while. It might shock those around you that you really are human, all right? And none of us get it right all the time. Number 38, I learned that bad things happen to the best of people for no obvious reason at all. It rains on the just and the unjust. Things happen. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. I mean, I don't get it all, but that's just part of life. Number 39, and winding this down, there is power in stillness. Learning to be still and know that He is God. He is God. And finally, number 40, and I close with this. Some people won't like me, and I'm okay with that. I am not here to try to please people. My ultimate goal is to live my life to please God. I, I, I want to I be a God pleaser more than I want to be a man pleaser, right? And so my standing with God is more important than my standing with you. And I know some people won't like that. Some people won't like, like me for that. That's okay. Uh, I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to please God. And I think if all of us would learn to please God and live our lives to, for, for, not for our pleasure but for his pleasure, we'd be a lot better off. Amen? So, winding this down, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. And then he goes on and talks about the aging process in Ecclesiastes. 
He concludes the chapter, the book, by saying this. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the duty of man. May, may you and I live our lives in, in reverence of who he is, in, in reverence of, of obeying his word of God. I want to keep your commandments. I want to do what's right in your eyes. Friends, if we'll do that, I think we'll be a lot, lot further off in the long run. I would challenge you this week sometime on your own. I'm not going to take time to do it. But read Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, where it talks about remembering God and going into the promised land and, and not being comfortable and not backing away from God, but remembering God, remembering what God has done. Hopefully I brought you on a little, my little journey this morning. As I said, tomorrow I'm, I'm 40 years old. Thank you, Jesus, for keeping me. Thank you, Jesus, for, for saving me and, and for being gracious and good to me. Even when I haven't been faithful, God, you've been faithful. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. I'll close in prayer. A little different format today. I get that. Uh, thank you for bearing with me. I've never preached a 40-point message in my life. All right. Um, and I, I, like I joke, I jokingly say some, some Sundays uh, my sermons are pointless. All right. And so today you got lots of, lots, of, lots of things there. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you. In my own life, I thank you for grace, your grace, your goodness over the years. God, you've been so good. And God, I, I pray that as we've heard the things I've shared this morning, God, that, that we would just take these things to heart because, God, you're teaching every one of us something else. You're, you're teaching us something different. And may we be able to say, God, thank you for those life lessons. And we'll look back and we can teach our kids. We can teach our grandkids as well. But God, may it all be about you, about what you've done. And Lord, help us as I said, to live our lives in such a way that's in light of eternity, but living our lives to please you and to bring pleasure and honor to you. For that's why, as, as the Revelation tells us, that's why we were created, for your pleasure, for your pleasure. And Lord, help us to serve the purposes of God in our generation, as it, as it was said of David, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here today. Uh, keep uh, Andrew and Lexi in prayer. Their wedding's at 3.30. I'll be officiating. Pray that all goes well and it doesn't rain. Outdoor wedding. God bless y'all.